Well, let's turn to Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And while you're doing that, let me give you some background um, in terms of the setting of this letter, how it came to be. Ephesus, uh, just a bit of review, was a center for the worship of false religions, false gods. And so, for example, they had the temple devoted to the goddess Artemis there, which was one of the seven wonders of the world, this massive temple. And Ephesus was a center for the worship of this false god, this idol. And not only that, Ephesus was headquarters for the practice of magic and the black arts. So this was the kind of dark, non-Christian, unbelieving setting that Ephesus was when Paul arrived there in the year A.D. 52. Paul arrived. Bold Paul. Just started preaching the good news of Jesus. Telling everybody needs to be forgiven for their sins by God, and God's made a way for you to be forgiven through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. And Gentiles, you don't need to stop eating pork and get circumcised to join God's people. God's forming a new people of believing Jews and believing Gentiles, forming a new people of the church. And Paul preached the gospel. Many Jews and Gentiles came to faith, and a church was planted. That Paul. We love Paul. It's ministry. And Paul stayed there for a few years then, strengthening the church. And then he left and made his way to Jerusalem, arriving there in the year 57 AD, and again, bold Paul started preaching again, Gentiles, you don't need to stop eating pork, and you don't need to get circumcised to become part of God's people. God's forming up a new people in Christ, believing Jews, believing Gentiles. Well, the Jewish leaders did not want to hear that, and they raised up a mob to attack Paul one of the times when he was speaking, and they just started beating him because they wanted to kill him. Thankfully, God had Roman soldiers intervene. They took Paul into custody. And to make a long story short, as they questioned him, it came out that he was a citizen of Rome, so they decided to send him to Rome to be tried before Caesar. And so Paul arrived in Rome around A.D. 60. This is eight years after he planted the church in Ephesus. A.D. 60, Paul arrived in Rome, was put in jail, awaiting his trial. And while he was there in jail in Rome, he wrote this letter to encourage the believers who he had met and loved in Ephesus. And here's Paul's flow of thought so far. Chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, he introduces himself as the letter, the author of the letter, Paul, I'm writing to you. And then he wanted to encourage them because they were living in a spiritually difficult place. So verses 3 through 14, he says, God has given us every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And he lists seven of them. Read those over, pray those over. They are powerful encouragement to believers, like them, like us who live in spiritually difficult places. And then in verses 15 through 23 of chapter 1, he wants to pray for them. Because of all these blessings God given, has given to us, Paul says, I pray that you will know and that you'll feel the certain hope of heaven, the riches of the glory of beholding Jesus forever in heaven, and the surpassing greatness of God's power which keeps us on the road all the way to heaven. And that's what he prays for them, verses 15 through 23. So that's chapter 1. Now, as Paul starts into the next section, he knows there's a danger of pride. The Ephesian believers had just heard all the spiritual blessings that they have through Christ, and it's easy for proud people. We've been saved, but we still have sin remaining. It's easy for us to think that's because I'm special. I must be better than other people. 
That's why I have all these spiritual blessings. So Paul's goal in chapter 2 is to give the, the Ephesian believers reasons why they should be humble before God for their salvation. All the glory goes to him. They didn't earn it in any way. It wasn't because they were any better. It all was a gift from God, even their faith. And so in verses 1 through 10, Paul reminds them, remember, you were dead in sin. God made you alive in Christ. He gave you faith. That's why you're saved. Humble yourself. Don't boast in it. Give all the glory to God. Then in verses 11 and 22, he gives them a second reason. Not only were they dead in sin, but the Gentiles were alienated from the people of God. They were cut off from God's people, no possibility of hearing the gospel. But what did Jesus do? Jesus came and he preached the good news to them. Jesus came and by his death, he removed this wall of hostility that was between Jews and Gentiles. By Jesus' work, he joined together believing Gentiles and Jews to become one new people of God. But again, this was all mercy, mercy, mercy. And so Paul's point in chapter 2 is to help them avoid pride as they see the mercy of God which saved them for no reason in themselves. They brought nothing good to the table. It was all a gift from God. So all the glory goes to God. That's chapter 2. And that brings us to the beginning of chapter 3, where we're starting today. And I wanted to kind of draw you a picture of how this looks. Don't mind my... I'm not an artist, but anyway. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3, how he starts this chapter. He says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles... But as you keep reading, you notice that he breaks off the sentence right at that point. And he doesn't come back to that sentence until chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. Look at what Paul says there. Notice the similarities. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. So he's picking that thought up again, that sentence again. Urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And how do we walk in a worthy manner? with all humility. So that's where he's finally bringing out the punchline from chapter 2 where he's given reasons for why we should be humble before God. He starts it in chapter 3, verse 1. He wants to urge them that in light of what he said in chapter 2, they should be humble and, and to give weight to this command in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, listen, I'm a prisoner of the Lord telling you this. But then it dawns on him. This is the first time they've heard, I'm a prisoner. It's the first time he mentioned that in this letter. This could trouble them. This could cause them to be discouraged. This could make them lose heart. So before he completes his thought and urges them to be humble, he needs to help them not be discouraged that he's in prison. And we can tell that's his concern because of verse 13 in chapter 3. Look at what he says. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering. That's the point of verses 1 through 12 as he develops that. Don't lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Okay, so chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, what Paul is doing is giving them reasons why they should not lose heart over his imprisonment. Then in chapter 14, verse, through verse 21 of chapter 3, Paul prays for them. And then finally in chapter 4, verse 1, Paul returns to what he started in chapter 3, verse 1, urges them, as a prisoner of the Lord, walk in humility. Don't boast about your salvation. Walk in humility. Okay, so you get that? All right. Now, what that means is the focus of today's passage, chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, is why Paul's readers 
should not be discouraged or lose heart at the fact that he's in prison. And these are powerful reasons that will be helpful for us as well. And as I studied verses 1 through 13, I saw four reasons why Paul's imprisonment should not make them lose heart. Let's walk through these one by one. So first reason is because Paul's ministry and message came from God himself. See, Paul's readers might have thought, Apostle Paul sent from God, gave us this message of salvation. He's in prison? How could an apostle sent by God on a mission of this importance end up in prison? Maybe Paul's not from God. Maybe he just thought up this message on his own. Maybe we're not really forgiven through faith in Christ. Maybe it's just all something Paul made up. And so Paul wants to stress, yes, I'm in prison, but it doesn't change anything. My ministry and my message are from God himself. Look at what he says in verses 1 and 2. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, then he breaks off from that sentence, verse 2, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me by God, given to me for you. So Paul calls his ministry a stewardship of God's grace. God had given Paul a ministry which brought great grace to the Gentiles. He could tell Gentiles, you can be completely forgiven for all your sins before God. Past sins, present sins, future sins, you can be completely forgiven for them all through faith in Jesus Christ. And by faith alone, you can be joined to God's new peoples formed of believing Jews and believing Gentiles, the new, the new people, God's church. And Paul says, that ministry was given to me by God. It was, even though I'm in prison, understand, it was given to me by God. And then he wants to stress that the message was also given to him by God. Verse 3, how the mystery, he calls his message a mystery not because it was hard to understand, but because it had not been revealed to people in the Old Testament as clearly as it was revealed now. How the mystery was made known to me by, underline this word, revelation, as I have briefly written. God gave it to him by revelation. So Paul didn't think of this message. Paul didn't think, how could we give some good news to the Gentiles? Let's tell them this. No, God revealed this to him. Supernatural revelation from God. Paul, Gentiles can be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Jews need to be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Gentiles do not need to stop eating pork and get circumcised in order to become part of God's new people. This is the good news, Paul. It's now being clearly revealed. Tell everybody. So Paul wants to make it clear. My ministry, my message was from God, even though I'm in prison. End of verse 3, he says, I wrote about this briefly. I think he's referring to chapter 2, verses 11 through 22 which we studied last couple of weeks. And that's what he's talking about in verses 4 through 6. He says, when you read this, chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, Old Testament time, as it has now been revealed, there's that word again, to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, along with believing Jews, members of the same body, along with believing 
Jews and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. My message was also given to me by God. The ministry is from God. The message is from God. This is from God and not just to me, but to God's holy apostles and prophets. Remember last week we talked about what that phrase meant. I'm about 60-70% sure of this interpretation, okay? So you do some study on your own. I don't think Paul's talking about two different groups of people. There's apostles, and then there's also prophets. I think Paul is talking about the same kind of language he uses in chapter 4 when he talks about pastors and teachers. There's not a group of pastors in the church and a different group of teachers. They're the same. That's the same kind of language here. Paul's talking about the apostles like Peter, like Matthew, like Paul, who were apostles but functioned as Old Testament prophets in that they received revelation from God and they wrote it down in the New Testament. Old Testament prophets wrote the Old Testament. New Testament apostles functioning as Old Testament prophets wrote the New Testament. But the whole point is, this was revealed. We didn't come up with this on our own. So even though I'm in prison, believers in Ephesus who maybe are troubled by my imprisonment, even though I'm in prison, it doesn't mean that I'm not sent by God and that my message wasn't revealed by God. There's a rock-solid foundation for why you should believe what I told you. Don't lose heart in my imprisonment. My imprisonment does not show that I'm not from God. That's the first reason. Now, I was thinking this morning as I was going back over this, this might be very timely for some of you who are here this morning. It may be that you are going through a time of questioning whether the truth of Jesus Christ is really true for everybody on the whole world. We're living here in a country where we are surrounded by people with many different religions. And it can happen that you move into a country like this, you can start to wonder, why do I believe this? Is this really true? Well, let me encourage you that there's lots of reasons why we believe this is true, but one of them is right here. The Apostle Paul was 150%, I know that doesn't, anyway, he was completely sold out to Judaism. He was heading in this direction as a Pharisee, heading in this direction as fast as his legs could carry him. And God just simply reached down from heaven and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I'm Jesus who you have crucified. And Paul saw it, saw Jesus, just said, what have I been doing? I've been totally wrong, turned completely around, headed in the other direction as passionately as he possibly could. Paul's conversion is an astonishing display of the truth of Jesus Christ. Changed 180 degree direction. So there's objective historical evidence besides the glory of God that we behold when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, the self-authenticating witness of beholding His glory in the Scriptures. That's the best evidence, but there's lots of historical evidence. So I just want to encourage you, nothing wrong with raising questions. Understand there's hundreds of answers about why the truth of Christianity is true. So if, if you're here this morning struggling with, I wonder if this, what I was raised with or what I was taught is really true, it is absolutely foundationally, objectively true because, and one of the reasons is Paul. Paul, who is heading in a completely different direction, happily, Pharisee, knew he was right, killing Christians. God turned him around by revealing Jesus to him, and he knows Jesus is the resurrected Son of God who died on the cross to pay for our sins. He's going to tell the Gentiles about it as well as the Jews as well. You see that? Powerful. That's the first reason. We shouldn't be discouraged about Paul's imprisonment. Because God himself 
called Paul to this ministry and gave him this message. Second reason, I love this one, because being a servant of the gospel is grace from God even when you're in prison. Look at verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister. When you think minister, you think pastor, like I'm a minister, but this Greek word is just servant. Servant is the word meaning here. Of this gospel, I was made a servant according to the gift of God's grace. It was God's grace that's called me to this. I'm writing to you in prison. God's grace called me to this. Do you feel the power of that? I'm a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ by God's grace. Huh? Well, keep going. Which was given me by the working of his power. So how is this a gracious gift from God, Paul, if it leads to you being in chains in Rome? Verse 8, here's why. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Underline that phrase. That's gold. The unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul was sent to the Gentiles to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ. So he preached that through Jesus' death, they can be completely forgiven for all their sin, no matter how wicked. That through Jesus' death, by the gift of the Holy Spirit, the power of sin will be broken in them. Their hearts will be supernaturally changed. They will grow progressively more and more full of joy and trusting God, more and more progressively free from sin. That's what's going to happen. They are now fellow citizens. We saw this last week of heaven. They have a citizenship in heaven that is secure, that is lasting. They have the Holy Spirit now making God's presence real to them. They have all of God's promises guiding them, providing them, comforting them, strengthening them. They're going to be raised from the dead. They're going to have the ever-increasing joy of knowing God and Jesus forever, the unsearchable riches of Christ. And Paul gets to preach that to them. But Paul didn't just preach this to them. This wasn't just a message he preached. This was a reality he experienced. He knew the unsearchable riches of Christ. And so Paul sees his ministry, walking in obedience to Christ, experiencing the unsearchable riches, even if that path of obedience takes him into jail. See, Christ's unsearchable riches can fill a jail cell with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Remember the story about um, Paul and Silas? They'd been beaten, uh, put in stocks, feet put in stocks in this jail. What were they doing at midnight? They were singing praise to God. Praise you. Praise? Faithfulness to Jesus led them into prison? Jesus is worth it all, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul didn't just preach it. Paul lived it. Paul felt it. Paul knew it. And so he saw his calling to the ministry as a gracious gift from God. So don't be discouraged about my being in prison, believers in Ephesus. This is a mercy from God that I get to be here enjoying the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's the, the second reason. Now, again, as I was going over this this morning, I thought, some of you need to hear this today. 
And it's no accident that you're here because the good news is since you're trusting in Jesus, the, the time of unemployment you're going through can be turned into an experience of the unsearchable riches of Christ in even greater measure. The trial you're going through, Jesus will meet you in that. Wherever the, the path of obedience leads you in following Jesus, the unsearchable riches of Christ will be there. And every turn in the road is a turn because it will bring you more of the unsearchable riches of Christ. And I hope we all know the path towards heaven goes through severe trials. Do you know that? I've been working on memorizing Acts 14.22 where Paul's message to churches that he was, had just planted was, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. So if you're in tribulations and you're trusting Jesus, you're on the right road. Right? You see that? Totally different thought than many people have, than sadly many believers have. Some believers think, well, trials must mean you're off the road. Paul said, no, it's through many tribulations. We're on the road to heaven. Do you see that? And when you're on the road, the unsearchable riches of Christ will make you say, this is a grace. So if you're in a trial right now and you're feeling heartbroken, like God's far from you and press in. He will comfort you. He will sustain you. He will provide for you. He will guide you. Whatever you need, he will give it to you. Multiple outpourings as you're in that trial. Trial times can be some of the sweetest times beholding the Lord and knowing him. So press in. Have some brothers and sisters pray for you. Come up afterwards and let us pray for you. This is Paul's second reason for why the believers in Ephesus should not be discouraged. Because he saw his ministry as a grace from God, even when it called him to prison. A third reason. This is a long one, because this is amazing. It's because the glory of God's plan is worth suffering in prison. Verse 9. And God has sent me to bring to light... For everyone, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things? So the God who created all things, awesome in power, has a plan. Things aren't out of control. God has a plan. He had a plan to join believing Jews and believing Gentiles through faith in Christ, into one new people, the people of God, the church of God. And, and part of bringing about that plan was to save Paul, as I told you earlier, to call him as an apostle, to give him this message, to plant churches throughout the Roman Empire and have him go to prison. It's all part of God's plan. So everything is going according to Paul's, according to God's, plan. Even Paul's imprisonment was part of God's plan. And Paul is full of joy while he's in prison because he knows that God's plan, to live for God's plan, to display God's plan, it's worth prison. What is God's plan? Verses 10 and 11, here's what he says. So that through the church, the manifold diverse, multifaceted, the manifold wisdom of God, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. 
This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the reason God's plan was to have the church be made up of believing Jews and believing Gentiles joined into one new man, one new entity, the people of God, the church, was because that church, made up of believing Jews and believing Gentiles, would display, would show the wisdom of God, the glory of God, the majesty of God, the love of God, the faithfulness of God. It would display the the wisdom of God to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now, Now, why talk about displaying it to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places? My thought this week was, if the rulers and authorities in heavenly places see this, then everyone sees this. All of creation sees this. And so this is God's eternal purpose. That's the word Paul uses in verse 11. Paul is saying that way back before creation, God's eternal plan was to display his wisdom His mercy, His faithfulness, His glory, His power was to display His wisdom through the church. And He planned everything for this. Creation, the fall, the call of Abraham. He planned the choice of Israel to be His people. Israel's idolatry, the exile in Babylon, the coming of Jesus. Jesus' teaching, Jesus' healings, Jesus' casting out demons, Jesus' love, Jesus' mercy, Jesus in whom we beheld God's glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, Jesus' crucifixion, God planned, Jesus' resurrection, God planned, and then his creating a a new people of believing Jews and Gentiles joined together. God planned all of this so that through this church, through this church, the manifold wisdom of God would be displayed to all of creation. So this is God's purpose, and it's still God's purpose now, that through the church, that's us, and all the, name, all the churches that name the name of Jesus and preach the Bible are founded upon the Scriptures, through the church, God is making known His beautiful wisdom, glory, majesty, and power. That's God's purpose. Now, how does the church, made up of believing Jews, believing Gentiles, display God's wisdom and glory and majesty. I thought of a couple examples. See see if you can see how these work. One is the fact that the church includes believing Jews. That shows everyone that God is merciful and forgiving. See if this makes sense to you. When you read the Old Testament, you see that the people of Israel were very sinful. Not more sinful than Gentiles. Us Gentiles, we're right in there too, okay? But, but the people of Israel, for the most part, were terribly sinful. I mean, I thought of a couple of examples. They were just delivered from Egypt. Remember the story? With signs and wonders, God's power. And they left Egypt, and then they faced the Red Sea. And what does God do? He parts the Red Sea. And they go across the Red Sea on dry ground. Pharaoh's armies are chasing after them, head down into the dry ground. What does God do? He closes up the Red Sea after them. So God's miracle, 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 signs and wonders, signs and wonders, delivers his people. A couple days later, they're thinking there's no water here. God's brought us out here to kill us. Grumbling, complaining, full of unbelief. It's astonishing. Just like us. 
right? Another example. God had given them the promised land. Again, with beautiful power. Remember marching around Jericho? God had given them the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, just like he promised. It was theirs by God's grace, by God's mercy. But it wasn't too long before they were bowing down before Baal, a false god, right? And throwing God's prophets like, like Jeremiah. They threw him down into this well, which just had a lot of mud at the bottom, and Jeremiah is sinking down. I mean, trying to kill God's prophets. So Israel, as you read the Old Testament, was very sinful. But the fact that the church today is made up of believing Jews shows the mercy and grace of God in Jesus forgiving sin and how God's power through Jesus can not only forgive sin, he can change our hearts. And so the fact that the church today is made up of believing Jews and Gentiles shows everyone God's forgiving, God's gracious, God's merciful. So that aspect of God's wisdom is shown through the church now. Do you see that? Another example. The fact that the church includes believing Jews shows everyone that God is faithful to his promises. Beautifully faithful. Remember the story. Israel had sinned terribly against God. God had warned them, don't. And they kept sinning. And so God brought Babylon to conquer them. Many were killed and many taken back to Babylon as slaves. But while they were there, God promised them through prophets that God was going to make a new covenant. God was going to change their hearts by his supernatural power, take out their hearts of stone, Ezekiel 36, give them hearts of flesh. God was going to wash them clean from their idolatry. God was going to do this so they would walk in God's ways. So God made this new covenant. I'm going to save. I'm going to change. And the fact that today the church includes believing, saved, changed Jewish people shows that God was faithful to that promise. And so the church now displays that aspect of God's wisdom, his faithful mercy in keeping his promises. How about us Gentiles? Well, we, we, get, we have a role in this also. So the fact that the church includes believing Gentiles also shows everyone that God is faithful to his promises. Remember the Old Testament promises that he gave to Abraham in Genesis 12 and then repeated in Genesis 22? Abraham through your offspring. And who was Abraham's offspring? Jesus. Through your offspring, every ethnic group on the world is going to experience salvation. I'm going to save some from every people group on the world. God promised that. He promised that. And listen to this promise in Zechariah chapter 2, verse 11, because this promise is repeated throughout the Old Testament. But listen to this one. God promises, many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day and shall be my people. Many nations. What a shocking promise for the Israelites to hear. Many nations are going to become part of God's people. Again, that promise is all through the Old Testament. And the fact that today the church is composed of believing Gentiles shows that God is faithful to that promise. Do you see how this works? The fact that the church includes believing Gentiles also shows everyone that God mercifully saves sinful people. We were sinful too, right? Throughout the Old Testament, we can see just how sinful us Gentiles were. Remember 
the horrible sexual sin in Sodom and Gomorrah? Remember the stories about how Gentiles, as part of their idolatrous worship, burned their babies as offerings to these idols? I mean, it's just horrifying to think of that. Sin, sin, sin. Gentiles are sinful people. Okay? That's us. But the fact that the church today includes believing Gentiles shows that through Jesus, God mercifully forgives. Through Jesus, God mercifully changes hearts. Through Jesus, God mercifully restores, frees, sanctifies even Gentile sinners like us. One more example. The fact that the church is made up of believing Jews and believing Gentiles together shows that Jesus' power and glory overcomes racism, overcomes racial hostility. I mean, we saw this back in chapter 2. When Jesus came, Jews and Gentiles were completely separated from each other. There was a wall of hostility between them. They hated each other. They did not talk to each other. They stayed away from each other. It was terrible. Racial division there. That's the before picture. What's the after picture? Jewish believers, Gentile believers, loving each other, praying together, weeping together, working together to bring others to Jesus. The church is made up of believing Jews and believing Gentiles together, and this shows that Jesus, the power of the cross, can break the power of racism, and the glory of Christ can so fill our hearts that we lay down our racism. And so this is another way that the church now displays the wisdom of God, the, the glory of Christ, the power of Christ in setting people free from racism. And we have visited this topic a couple times these last few weeks, but let me just say it again. We are living in a country where we have the opportunity of showing people the power of Christ by having us, the church, be free from racism. As we love each other, as we go out of our way to build relationships with people with different skin color, different nationalities, different backgrounds, different classes, as we live that here, people who don't know Christ will be stunned as they see what's happening in the church because it doesn't happen anywhere else here. Grace Church, let's be this. Let's keep moving into, out of our comfort zone into the Jesus zone of, of living this way. So these are some ways that God shows his manifold wisdom, his glory, his faithfulness, his majesty through the church. And that's what Paul's talking about in verses 10 and 11. So let's read those two verses again now so that you can see what, what Paul has in mind here. Verse 10, so that through the church, just think of these examples I just gave, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. So here's Paul's third reason. They should not be discouraged by his imprisonment because the glory of God's plan, to be part of this plan, makes prison completely worth it. That's what Paul's saying. And by the way, that's true for your trials too or for whatever difficulties the path of obedience to Christ has taken you on, the fact that you in that trial, as part of the church, are part of God's plan to display the wisdom of God. As you are in that trial, you have the opportunity in a unique way that other people don't have to display the wisdom, the glory, the faithfulness, the mercy of Christ. It might be a hard call. I know some of you are going through very 
hard trials, but it's, it's an honor. It's an honor, and that's one of the reasons he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, because as he called you to that difficulty, you were faithful. You displayed his glory. You displayed his faithfulness. You displayed his mercy by trusting and by relying upon him. So apply this to your trials too. Okay, there's one more reason though, fourth reason, why they shouldn't be discouraged by his imprisonment. Because through Christ, we have boldness and confident access to God, even in prison. Verse 12, in whom, that whom refers back to Christ, in, in Christ, we have boldness, just like Tyler read us from, from Hebrews this morning, right? We have boldness to be, come into God's throne of grace. We have access to God's throne of grace with confidence through our faith in him. So think about Paul. He's in prison, not a pretty place, in chains, frightening, knowing that he very well could be on his way to death. So that's where he is, all right? And yet Paul says that in Christ, underline that word, we. I love that word, we, there. We includes Paul. So Paul knows that he has boldness. He's feeling bold there. He knows he has access with confidence to God through faith in Jesus Christ. So Paul's not discouraged while he's in prison. What he's feeling is boldness. He's feeling confidence. I have free access to God through Jesus. God's here. God's in control. God could release me just like that. Remember the earthquake that came and the chains fell off and they went out through the door of the prison? Remember that? God could do that again or not, depending on what his will is. So he's, he's bold. He's right in the center of God's will. He's enjoying the unsearchable riches of Christ. He has access to the Father, even in prison. So he's not discouraged while he's there. He's feeling bold and confident, and he wants his readers not to be discouraged that he's there because they, he wants them to know, I have boldness and confident access to God while I'm here, and you don't be discouraged. You have boldness and confident access to God through Jesus also while I'm here. So those are Paul's four reasons. Four reasons his readers should not be discouraged that he's in prison. Paul's ministry and message, it was given to him from God. Being a servant of the gospel, it's a grace of God, even if it means being in prison. The glory of God's plan to display his glory in whatever setting God calls us to do that, it's worth whatever it is, including prison. And through Christ, we have boldness and confident access to God, even in prison. And then here's his conclusion, verse 13. So, that's a like big therefore, underline that word. So, because of these reasons, because of verses 1 through 12. So, I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. In other words, my suffering, my willingness to be in prison for this, the fact that God's called me to this, that it's a grace, that I have boldness and confident access, all these things should help you understand that my suffering, my imprisonment, confirms the truth of what I'm saying in my message. It confirms it to you. So you are saved through Christ, Gentile believers in Ephesus, just like I said, my suffering is your glory because it confirms everything I've taught and preached to you. Okay, so what does this mean for us? That's verses 1 through 13. Catching your breath? <laughs> wow, okay. Let me just leave you with, with two takeaways. One is this. 
for those of you who are here and not, not trusting Jesus yet, when you're here, maybe a friend brought you, maybe you're just curious, we are really glad you're here. But you're not persuaded yet about Jesus, you're not, you're not so sure this is true, lots of questions. But see, this story of you know, thinking about the Old Testament and God's eternal purpose and what he's done through Christ and joining together of believing Jews and believing Gentiles, this can show you all that you can have in Jesus Christ yourself. You can have the unsearchable riches of Christ. You can have the unsearchable wealth of knowing that all of your sins are forgiven, all those past ones, present ones, and future ones through Christ. You can experience the Holy Spirit changing you so you're becoming a more patient person. You're becoming a more loving person. He does that by His power. None of us can do that by ourselves. He does it. Unsearchable riches of Christ. To know that you have God as your Father, loving you, caring for you, guiding you, providing for you, that you'll be resurrected from the dead, that you'll be in the presence of God through Jesus, having the ever-increasing joy of beholding Him with all other believers forever and ever. That's the unsearchable riches of Christ. And so, Here's my challenge to you. See all that you can have in Christ and trust Him today. Trust Him today. You've seen enough in, in this little passage right here to know this is true. This is what history is all about. This is what the future is all about. This is what my life is all about. I'm here for the joy of knowing Christ. This is what I'm all about. Trust Him today. I plead with you to trust Him. That's the first takeaway. Second, for those of us who are trusting Christ, live your life to make known God's purpose. Live your life to make known this amazing purpose that through the church, see, you are part of the church. You are called as part of the church to make known the wisdom of God to everyone. That's why you're here on earth. You're part of the church. This is God's purpose for the church. And you have neighbors and work associates who have never heard the gospel, who've never heard the gospel. I mean, we're living in an area which is full of people who have never heard the gospel. And one of the main reasons God has you here is because people here need to hear the gospel. It's one of the main reasons you're here. And here's the beautiful thing. God will lead you he will open doors as you say, Father, what can I do? Who can I love and serve? Who can I get to know to share the good news with? He will lead you. He will guide you. He has a plan for how you can do this. And as you surrender and say, okay, I'm frightened to death at the thought of doing this. Help me. Show me what to do. What's the first step? As you pray about that, as you wait on him, as you seek his face, he will give you a step to take this week. He will. So that's my challenge to you. Take time to seek God's face and say, I'm here. I want to be part of your purpose and part of the church. What would you have me do this week? I want to do something. I'm scared to death to ask, but show me what it is and then give me the courage to do it. He will. He will. He will. And you'll be blessed and they'll be blessed and you'll see God working in amazing ways. So two takeaways. First, see all that you have in Christ, all that you can have in Christ, and trust him. And second, live to make your life display. Live your life to make known 
God's purpose of displaying his wisdom in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I ask for your power to come upon us. I pray, Lord, that you would touch those right now who are not yet trusting Jesus and just fill their minds and their hearts with the unsearchable riches of Christ. We praise you, Jesus. You came and you showed us how real you are, how real God the Father is by your love, by your healing, by your teaching, by your mercy, by your miracles, by your going to the cross, by your resurrection from the dead. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would touch the hearts of people who are not yet trusting you, that they would see and feel the unsearchable riches of Christ and turn from sin and put their trust in you as their Savior, their Lord, and their all-satisfying treasure. Do that now, I pray, Father, please. And I pray for those of us who are trusting Christ, that you'd help us, Lord, live this purpose of showing the wisdom of God, the glory of Christ, through our words, through our friendships, through our actions. We want to live this. Give us steps this week that we can take. We don't want to live cloistered anymore. We don't want to live pulled back from other people anymore. We want to go out and love people and care for people who desperately need to hear the gospel. So help us, Lord, do that, I pray in Jesus' name.